Today, we find ourselves on a hot summer day in the early years of the Roman Republic, on a farm on the west bank of the Tiber River, toiling under the sweltering summer sun, we find Lucius, an elderly farmer tending to his crops and living the simple life in the Roman countryside. This year's crop of barley was doing pretty well, but the summer's long dry spells and the back-breaking labour of the farmer's life had taken a toll on old Lucius, and the Roman Republic in these days was not the mighty empire it would one day become, and so raids from neighbouring tribes were common in this area. But on this day, when Lucius hears the sound of heavy hooves and the rattle of swords and armour galloping up his road, he doesn't fear an attack. These men have not come to pillage his land or steal away his family, but Lucius has dreaded their coming all the same. For when these armoured soldiers arrive, they bear the banners of the Roman Republic, and they have come to offer the supreme control of Rome and her armies to this tired old barley farmer. Welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. My name is Patrick Courtney, and I am joined as ever by my co-host, Will Davis-Coleman. Will, how are you doing? All good, Patrick. Looking forward to your episode on Rome. And from what you told us at the end of last week, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one. Uh, you said that we would be going way back in time. Way back in time. Because you went actually pretty recent in Roman history, arguably. I know, which is admittedly weird. But considering the rest of our series so far has been like really quite modern history, yeah, has, I went back to like the Tudors, so 500 years ago. So we're working our way back. But this episode is much further back. This is really like ancient era times, kind oh. of classical era, which I really like. And I feel like you do like as well. I really, really do. I, I love it because it almost feels more like mythology yeah. rather than you can't kind of because it's so long ago. You almost can't imagine it ever happening. Yeah, it's very well, you know, all the stories are kind of embellished. And actually this story that I'm telling today is maybe kind of a bit embellished and maybe not fully historically accurate, but we'll tell it anyway because it's kind of interesting. A few she-wolves in there. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, nice. Um, I just want to say, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to another episode of this series. We're really enjoying being back on back on the airwaves. Um, if you are enjoying it, though, um, please like, share, subscribe, wherever you're listening. And um, tell a friend, and please do uh, come and find us on our social media account on Instagram. Our our handle is at Cloak and Dagger Podcast. Well done, you said it right. Yeah, I know, I know. Will's always making mistakes; he never <sighs> says it right. As if, um, uh, where you will find everything you need for this episode, including a sneak peek that would have come out on the Monday, and then the main episode we. It comes out on the Wednesday, we put out a full post, and then there's always a final fact that we put out on a Friday as well. So head on over there, and we'll, we'd love to hear from you. So yeah, get in touch with us. Yeah, I think you get a lot from that um, Instagram account, because there's just so much more like imagery and other stuff you can get that we can't we can't give to you on this kind of audio platform. platform. Like It just doesn't yeah. work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, go have a look over there. Tell a friend, tell a dog, and uh, yeah. Tell a dog. What's the, what's that? What is a dog going to do for us? I don't know. I love dogs. <laughs> yeah, I know, but they're, they're not giving us, you know, the views and the and the reviews that we need to sustain ourselves. No, I stand by it. I think you should tell a dog. Just tell your dog. Okay. Tell your dog. Don't tell a cat though. Okay, fine. I mean, I like cats, but don't tell a cat because they're not going to be very helpful. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should start the episode. Yeah, let's start the episode. <laughs> So yes, today is my episode to cover Rome, um, and Rome is such a cool, interesting city. I mean, you know, we I think we both had to really look for some really interesting stories that people hadn't heard about of Rome, because it is just, isn't arguably the most famous city in the world? It must be up there with New York and... yeah. Where else? I mean, but it'd be I'd like, like to say London, it, but maybe It would be not. like the most famous city throughout history, probably. For like the longest stretch of time, it has yeah. been in the top 10 most famous cities, other than, I guess... Baghdad? Yeah, mate, but I don't know. Tokyo? Tokyo, yeah, but, like, the Western world don't know much about that, whereas Rome stretches so far and... Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's definitely up there anyway. It's a weird phrase to do, the most famous city of all history. Consistently good. Consistently hitting the top five famous cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been around a long time. Yes, it has. And has a very, uh, like, a very changing history because it goes through lots of different phases. And my episode, as we said at the beginning, is going way back into around 450 BCE. So this is wow. way before Rome is a really big deal. And as if you listen to our previous episode, as you told us, Will... At around this time, 
Rome because it began its life as a kingdom, the mm. kingdom of Rome. And in the time that we're looking at, it has just shifted over into the Republic. So it's the very, very yeah. foundational years of the Very, Senate. very early on. Wow. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, since uh, 509 BCE, that was when uh, the Roman kingship was abolished. Basically, all of the kind of higher-ups, the, the, um, the elite of Rome, got really annoyed at the Roman king because he raped a noble woman, which is a pretty good reason to get annoyed, but apparently it was more about... That it was property, didn't property, and didn't ask permission of the father. So it's you know, it, it we could look at it in a nice way, or we could look at it truthfully. And it's probably not as nice as we think. No. But still, awful dude, and they got rid of him, and they replaced it with a senate, with a republic, which is a pretty new idea at this time. What's interesting is also to point out is that this isn't Athens, so this isn't a democracy. There's democratic elements to it but it's kind of just an oligarchy because it is just yeah. a really rich group of guys <laughs> do, like controlling everything. Sharing power, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the big difference because I think you asked me that last week and I was like, uh, what's the difference? But it's because it's not de- democratic. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the really like big difference. It's weird here. to think of a republic which isn't democratic. You don't get those anymore. I guess they're oligarchies now. No, well, the Chinese Republic. They call uh, yeah. the People's Republic. That's that's technically it's kind of a republic. I, I, don't, I don't know how they. I, how do they vote? Do they vote? Well, the, it's kind of like it's probably more like Rome because the internal. Like I'm fairly sure Xi Jinping was elected by the other higher ups in the Communist Party. Yeah. So I think it's kind. It's got a democratic element, but an oligarchical democratic yeah, element. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not. sure. I think that's right. Yeah. But... We're not. We're not experts on China. Just saying. Before no. We get out We've of done it. frightening a few episodes on China. We need to do more because it's a really interesting tale. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about Rome. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. So you now have this burgeoning republic. Uh, in Rome and they've now they've got rid of the king and they kind of replaced them with the Roman Senate so the Senate was there before it became a republic but was more just in an advisory capacity and they also create two new positions I think they're new I don't know maybe they weren't doing this before but the consuls who are Mm. the, the, the two highest heads of state and it's actually like a duo leadership role like they are both as equal as each other and they essentially act as a check on the other one Ah, which really? is quite interesting because you also have uh, there's other places like Sparta has two kings yeah through lots of history one so, for war one for peace yeah so I don't know if there was a split between the consuls so but yes you have this really interesting setup and they act as kind of checks on each other they kind of prevent either of them going too far out of control but they also only serve for a year so it's ah. a very short term and it's a very you know fast churn but i guess that really means that the senate is where the power is because that's where people are there for their entire lives a lot of that kind of comes hereditary anyway so that's where the power is but you've got these two kind of heads in charge who are kind of you know the ceo the the direct the you know the chief executive you could call them primus inter pares which is where we get the phrase from which means first among equals Right. Which they say is first among equals among a group of people who are very not equal to the rest of everyone else. absolutely absolutely <laughs> So Roman society at this time is also split into two classes. So you have the people at the top are known as the patricians. And so these are the kind of dominant, they're basically the aristocracy. And they're really kind of just descendants from the initial senators that were created. And actually, interesting, it kind of began with Romulus, with the first king of Rome. Ah. And it's essentially, he appointed the first hundred senators and the descendants are the patricians. Okay, so they're, they're, they're kind of like co-founders. Yeah, kind of. They're descendants, descendants of, of, the, the of the founders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the on the other side of the spectrum, you have the plebeians, who are the everyone else essentially. They are, and they range from you know the lowliest farmers, not quite pe- uh, slaves, mm. but you know, kind of the peasant class to even if there is any sort of middle class or merchant class, which isn't a huge thing back then. But that's where all the plebeians fit. Okay. So you have this dynamic between the two. Also, interestingly, that's where my name comes from. Patrick is a kind of a uh, a translation from the Roman like Patricius or Patrician. I thought you said from pleb. No, <laughs> no, it means so, so. It means kind of lord. Does it? Oh, yeah, okay. Apparently. I'm not going to call you Lord Patrick. Don't it's, or Lord Courtney. Well, it would be Lord yeah, Lord, yeah. so it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you've got this kind of setup between the two classes, and in the early days of Rome, um, 
there are there's they're not a huge empire as i said at the right at the beginning so there are neighboring tribes kind of attacking and invading mm. but the division between the patricians and the plebeians is almost just as big just as much of a big of a deal oh really like, there's a lot of conflict between these guys really That's so cool so there was class war in yeah. the 500 bce i mean i can't imagine in any society where there are classes there isn't some sort of class war yeah, I guess so. I guess if you if you don't enslave your lower classes mm. as a patrician, you're in trouble. Because you didn't have that in Egypt, presumably. I mean, you had slave revolts, but you didn't have... You know what I mean? Yeah, It's quite interesting that actually you have a sort of autonomous plebeian class. Yes. Rather than... Because if they were enslaved, they just wouldn't have been able to. Well, I wonder if it's a kind of thing because obviously Rome has slaves, but I wonder if, you know, Roman citizens want to have a separate level between slave and patricians like they're not slaves they're not you know they're not that class of of person which is not really considered a person at that point property really. and they're not patricians because they weren't of the first hundred families so they have to be something else and it gets i guess that gives them enough power to then want to fight for more power yeah exactly which is fair enough i get that w- weren't there tribunes or something Yes, so it's around this time where this conflict, which actually historians call the conflict of the orders, so I guess the ordering of society, and it's all about the plebeians just trying to push for equality, to get kind of more power, and actually in 494 BCE, Rome uh, was at war with some neighbouring tribes, and the army of plebeian soldiers went on strike and didn't go to war. You're kidding. So they just kind of stopped. And they they marched to a hill just outside Rome known as the Sacred Mount. And they just stayed there until their terms were met. And it was these terms that set up the plebeian council and created these tribunes who are essentially the representatives of the people. So sorry, they unionized. Yes, they actually unionized. The army unionized, which what? is I don't think that's it happens in many places. That is so cool. Yeah. That long ago and they already I mean RMT need to like yeah. <laughs> pull their socks off and look back in time. Yeah. That's and it worked insane. really well. They got what they wanted. They got the plebeian council, they got the tribunes, you know. And then they went to war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think they they then they did what they were asked to do. So it's die it's a for Rome basically. Perfect <laughs> perfect situation for them. Yeah. So now let's go back to our tired old barley farmer Lucius, who you might have guessed from the ending of that intro isn't just a barley farmer. Is he Russell Crowe? He's not Russell Crowe, <sighs> although it does sound very much like the beginning of Gladiator. <laughs> it really partway does. through Gladiator, but a slightly nicer ending because instead of having his family killed, he is given Full power to control Rome. Ah. But before we get to that, okay, let's talk about Lucius, or his full name, Lucius Quinctius Cincinnatus. Wow. I think I've got that right. The Roman names are really hard. Honestly, I preferred it when I was doing Japanese names when we were doing the ninja. I love episode. Japanese names. They really like trip off the tongue well. Yeah, yeah. The they go really language. well. The know. Roman ones, much harder, which is odd because we're... I suppose we're not a Latin-based language. We're no, Germanic we're, language. We're so. more Germanic Scandinavian, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, I mean, I'll probably butcher someone's later, but I think I've got his name right. And I will now stick with Cincinnatus because that's quite easy to say. Yeah, definitely. But so Cincinnatus was a member of the patrician clan Quinctia, who are a pretty ancient Roman family name. Um, they were, they moved into Rome during the reign of the third king of Rome, ah. who a guy called... Tullus Hostilius, which is knowingly, I thought that might be the origin of the term hostile, because apparently he was a really like warlike king. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like it. Oh, okay. It seems like it could be, though. But it's so far back. Yeah. You know, like the, the fact that, that that word has probably gone through so many different things yeah, to get out the other more side. Likely. Yeah. But still, so third, so third king. The third so king Romulus Rome. was the first, then another dude, and then Tullus. Yes, then you've got Tullus Hostilius, and that is the time period at which... Uh, Cincinnatus's family moves to Rome from elsewhere in Italy. And I think I said last week that there were eight kings before the end of the, the kingdom. Yeah. So that means that, okay, so they, they, they've they been there for a long time then. So yeah. they've had five kings reigning yes. and then the beginning of the Senate. So they've been there a long time. They're very established. Although interestingly, if they've moved after the start of it, they're not the oldest patrician families. You no. know, the oldest patrician families, as I said, came from the first hundred senators. So they're a little bit newer than that. Well, I think, yeah, I reckon those first hundred senators, you know, last week I said that the hills of Rome probably like incorporated. Mm -hmm. 
I reckon those 100 senators were representatives from those hill tribes. Yes, that probably so, makes more sense. Whereas these guys seem like first wave immigrants. Yeah, very early money. immigrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they were there would have been other big tribes in and around Italy. Yeah. These were part of another group that immigrated over. Or even Rome. from Greece, because there's lots of that going on. Yeah, there's quite a lot of movement. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of background. But at this point, at since in Cincinnati's time, they are a very well established old money powerhouse within the Senate and within Rome's structure generally. Sure. Okay. And Cincinnati is born around 519 BCE, so 10 years before the end of the kingship. So oh. he does remember when it was, well, might remember You've bits asked of, him, have you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he remembers, you know, anything from when he was 10, he might remember something being different when we had a king. Or, or the, remembers the, any of the, the violent overthrow. It wasn't that actually that violent. They kicked, no, they kicked Tarquin out. So, I mean, yeah. you might remember that. Yeah, so he might remember stuff. And his, you know, his father would have known would have been maybe involved in that kind of stuff. So 100%. He yeah. would know a lot about this kind of stuff. Um, oh, I'm just repeating what I've said earlier. Um, and as a pretty intelligent member of the patrician class, Cincinnatus quickly rises through the office, through the Senate, uh, and ends up holding, you know, pretty high office in the newly formed Roman Republic, which would be an interesting time to kind of you know, grow up in. You know, it's like growing up in the early days of uh, the American. Yeah, that's after the yeah. after American Revolution, because it's like lots of things are probably being kind of created as you go, and you know, it's a it's a fun, interesting time to to make your mark on history. A moment of growth. Yes, absolutely. But because he is uh, a big deal at this time, he it does mean he spends a lot of his time along with the other senators dealing with the plebeians and dealing with the conflict of orders because that is kind of the big issue of the day okay, for we... most of this time actually. And that's class war. That is all the class war. Right. So, and is it just what what do the plebeians want? So, at this actually maybe not this time. But yeah, it I mean, throughout the entire, because the, the conflict of orders lasts about 200 years, or at least historian, historians call it this period of time, the conflict of orders, where plebeians are really trying to, you know, get more power and, you know, get a greater equality between themselves and the patricians. Sure. So that's the sort of time Cincinnati is in. And it's actually because of this kind of political unrest or class unrest that he grows, he rises even further through the ranks. Oh, really? Yeah. So in 460 BCE, a force of plebeian outlaws and rebellious slaves, so actually the plebeians side with some, you know, slave rebels or, you know, freed slaves, maybe not freed slaves, but like... Yeah, well... Um, freed themselves. What is that? Is that, would you call it a freed slave? If it's someone who freed themselves? Is Spartacus a freed slave? No, he's a rebel. Yeah, a rebel slave, I Rebel suppose. slave. So yeah, so, so a group of plebeian outlaws and rebellious slaves seize the... Capitoline Hill, which is one of the seven hills of Rome, mm. and they basically take it and fortify it as a kind of, I guess, barricade it a bit like American, oh, sorry, French Revolution, you know, just <laughs> trying to seize power again. You're trying to get, I've noticed that um, you're trying to get lamers in every <laughs> single episode we do now. Yeah, so if you know the, if you know the, if you know the show Lamers, you might have a, you know, kind of an idea of what I'm talking about here. Okay. Wait, so they took the Capitoline Hill. That's quite yeah. important. That's one of the big, that's one of the important hills. It's one of the important, it was one of seven. So top seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, this doesn't end that well for them. But in the struggle to reclaim the hill, one of the consuls at the time is killed. Okay. And in his place, the Senate elect Cincinnatus to fill his seat for the rest of the year. So it's not a full consul position, ah. but it's like acting consul. So he must have been fairly popular amongst the patrician classes to be elected in that time. You yeah. Know? Interesting. Okay. All right. So so off the back of a rebellion, sort of, because of his unfortunate colleague gets killed, he becomes consul. Yeah. He not get, for the full year. No, not for the full year. But it's, you know, being consul once really re like rises your political standing. You your know, you've, stock. You've been, it's like being one part of like the cabinet, being a cabinet minister in the UK or... Sure. Know what it would be in America, but you know that it shows you you've been a big deal once, and so you've got experience. You know how to deal with people. It's a good thing on your seat. You can handle the power. You can handle the power. That is a very good thought, and keep that in mind for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> so, for reasons we'll discuss in a bit, there's a tendency to view Cincinnati as a hero, and the Romans definitely throughout their history view Cincinnati as a hero. But before we go too far, I do kind of want to remind us all that he is essentially one of the elite members of an oligarchy and 
he was fiercely opposed to the plebeians' calls for greater equality. So he was very entrenched in the elite, didn't like the idea of plebeians getting more power, and under his rule, so for the rest of that term that he kind of lucked into, the plebeians gained no more ground in their calls. So he locked that down. I guess he didn't destroy them, but, you know, they were building momentum. But during his reign, no more steps were taken. So he was able to keep them at bay. Okay, so yeah, so he wasn't a hero of the people. No. Is what you're saying. But obviously, especially this far back in history, you have to slightly be careful not to put modern ideals onto... How dare you? How no, dare you suggest I'm putting daring. my modern, day, modern ideals onto this guy? I'm we, definitely doing that. We clearly shared the same politics, but it's like <laughs> you can't expect someone in 500 BCE to share the same ones mm. as the 21st century. But you do make a good point. And also, it is important that he also didn't crush them. Yeah, that's suppose that's true. Yeah, so he's just not doing anything. He's just keeping them in line. Basically. He's keeping them in line. He's keeping the status quo, which arguably does very well for him, yeah. um, and does very very well for his family. Because I won't go too into too much detail because there's quite a lot to talk about this guy. But there's also lots of information on Cincinnati's son, Queso, and Queso mm. is a bit more openly anti-plebeian to the point where he would kind of lead groups of other young patrician guys in to attack plebeians who were trying to fight for their rights so there's the the thing called the roman forum which i'm sure you you know about but like this center of politics in rome where lots of the discussions were going on and queso since that's his son would just get his mates and chase off the plebeians so that they couldn't like get into the the meeting rooms and get, couldn't really? fight for their case Interesting. Yeah. I have to admit, queso in Spanish means cheese. So all I'm hearing is a giant cheese I mean, in a I, toga. I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's. No, I'm, I'm sure you are. It's C A E S O. C A E S. Queso, yeah. Queso? Yeah. I say so, but it wouldn't be, would no, it? It's, yeah. ke- it's, a, it's a hard C. Yeah. You can think of them as cheese if you want. Just a big not, cheese I'm, in a toga. I'm not, yeah, just a big cheese in a toga. <laughs> he doesn't seem as nice of a guy. So, but I'll tell you one thing. You think that's bad. Have you ever heard of the emperor, Alagabalus? Uh, Alaga. <laughs> He's just emperor Alaga. <laughs> El- Alagabalus. E-L-A-G-A-B-A-L-U-S. Alagabalus. He would catapult money into the crowds. This is obviously late empire. We're right. Right, so he'd catapult loads and loads of sesterci into the middle of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then he'd catapult snakes. <laughs> what? What? So he'd gather them up. Oh! So everyone would be like scrabbling for the coins. Oh my god. And then god. he'd catapult poisonous That's snakes so... into the middle, in the middle of the forum. So you think the forum, this cheese dude has got nothing on Elagabalus. Yeah. No, that's, so... that's blown that out of the water. My god. <laughs> yeah. Romans are mad. Completely. They this are is the thing about insane. when power goes to your head, mm. you lose it. Yes, that is... That is also very relevant to the story as well. So interestingly enough, but that is crazy. We'll have to do an episode on him as well, I guess. Oh, he, there's so much more. He was involved in the African death cult as well. There's all oh, sorts of stuff. Christ. So now let's turn to why Cincinnatus became revered by Roman people throughout Rome's history and actually revered by quite a few contemporary people as well. So we now come to 458 BCE and one of the tribes that are quite close by kind of Rome's uh, border. Border? I was going to say like area of influence or like... Hinterland? Hinter- yeah, that kind of stuff. love that word. Hinterland is a good word. Great word. Um, one of the tribes that's nearby them is the Aqui tribe, who were, they've kind of, they're a big player in Italy and they've always kind of been ri- a bit kind of rivals to Rome. I think Rome is much bigger, but this tribe has always been one of their like biggest thorns okay. on their side. And in 458... The Aqui tribe break the last treaty they had with Rome and decide to retake the city of Tusculum, which is a Roman city. It's now just, I think, a ruin. It doesn't really exist anymore, but it's just to the east of Rome. I'm pretty sure Tusculum is where we get the word Tuscany from. Really? Oh, that makes sense, because it is... It's just right, north yeah. of... Yeah, which is in the same area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's really cool. I think, anyway, yeah. Let's let's assume you're right. We'll take it. Yeah, we'll I'm not gonna it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say you're wrong. So, no. <laughs> um, and this is a really important city for Rome because Tusculum has literally dozens of luxury patrician country villas. So the Roman Senate are not going to risk their summer homes uh, to okay. these tribes that are attacking them. 
Okay, I see. Okay. Yeah, you can yeah, see yeah, why yeah, this yeah. is really important to them. Yeah, fair enough. I'm sure it had other things as well, but in in the in the descriptions of it, that's the main thing it's people talk about. It really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in order to you know fight these the tribes off, the two consuls of that year, and I now need to say their names, and it's one of them is very difficult. Okay. So the first consul, Minucius Esquilianus Augurinius. Wow. Okay. That's the first one. And that was one dude. Nice. And then the other guy, uh, Nautius Rutilius. Who will forever be just known as Nautius. Nautius is a much better <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah. So you've got Nautius and Orguinus. Now, these two consuls are not that great at their job. Okay. I mean, I, th- I wonder how what the qualifications are or whether it's just a kind of random vote. I mean, you only serve a year. There's two of you and the Senate do a lot of the work for you. But these guys don't do the best job of handling this. So their first action is they both get together legions, form two armies, and then just go and try and fight the Aqui. Oh, fair enough. Makes sense. That sounds about right. However, before reaching Tusculum, Augurinus... Augurinus... Yeah, I'm sure that's right. Augurinus decides to make camp on uh, atop Mount Al... There's so many bloody names in this. (laughs) Make camp atop Mount Algidus which is just beyond the city of Tusculus. Uh, and actually, interestingly, Mount Algidus is actually the eastern rim of the Alban volcano. So there's a volcano in Italy, which is obviously very dormant, sure. called the Alban um, volcano in the Alban hills. And this really? is just the rim, one of the like peaks on the rim of it is this, is this little hill. I don't think it's a proper mountain. Little hill mountain volcano thing. Yeah, it's a pretty cool place to, to chill out. Yeah, So good views. Exactly. So Organus... You know, makes camp there. Thinks, let's just have a let's have a pause. Let's have a break. Let's view the scenery. Get the picnic out. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get ready, and then maybe tomorrow we'll go relieve the city and go fight for our luxury apartments. <laughs> but the Aqui are smarter than this consul, so very quickly they realise they're about to get surrounded. So decide to strike first, and they head over to this mountain where this Roman encampment is and surround it and oh, besiege it. No. Oh my god. And while this is going on, Nautius, the other consul, is, you know, stuck dealing with another force of Aqui and cannot relieve, relieve. Yeah, cannot relieve his his comrade. So these two are just hapless fools yeah. in charge of a load of men. Maybe not the best military leaders, really. Sure. So the Senate find out about this and they panic and they get really worried that this is going to go really tits up and actually they'll lose both Tusculus and they will lose... And their luxury apartments. All their luxury apartments are going to go, which is the really big loss here. And the two heads of state. Yeah, I mean, that's probably less important. And got the plenty le- of but the legions aren't, because the you legions, need the legions. The legions are the really dangerous thing to lose. So yeah. I think they're worried about, you know, we need, to, we need to find someone. We need to find someone to help us. And in their hour of need, they decide they need a dictator to command the remaining legions of Rome to Maximus. save them. Maximus. Maximus. Yeah. Maximus. <laughs> now, I should say, I think we mentioned this last one. Dictator nowadays is kind of a slur for heads of state that are, have gone a bit power mad. Yeah. But in Rome's time, it was a job. It was, it's where we got the name dictator from. In, at this time, it is just a very important person. Essentially, it's an extraordinary magistrate in the Roman Republic who is essentially given full authority to resolve a specific issue. So it's like in a moment of crisis, we give all power to this guy. It's like giving like the president or king emergency powers. Sure, okay. It's for a specific job. And in this case, it's to save the two consuls who've buggered everything up. Okay, but it can be for other things then. So it's not just direct threat to Rome. I think that's the main one it will be because the biggest thing they get is they get full control of the army. Okay, so it's not going to be like sort of dictator of paperclip shortage. Mm, kind of. It's it's a threat to Rome. So I think uh, maybe famine could do it. I don't know. There might be other cases like uh, that. Or flood. But, or, or just yeah. someone who seems a threat, like inside or outside Rome, which actually there's an interesting story we can get to the when we get to the end I'll mention as well. Um, but so it's kind of just a threat. It's in an emergency situation where... You can't debate everything. Because that's the thing. Rome is a republic and the Senate does debate. Sure. Which does slow down decision-making processes. Yeah. So being able to, in a moment, you know, we're going to get overrun by this Aqui tribe. Let's hand over all power to a dictator, sort this out, and then they will give the power back. 
Uh-huh. That doesn't always happen. If you know anything about Julius Caesar, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always go that well. <laughs> or Sulla or Marius. Yeah, it's, it, it doesn't sound like a great idea. No. But in this moment of need, the Senate chooses Cincinnatus to take up the mantle of dictator. And now keep in mind, at this point, Cincinnatus has retired to his small farm on the west bank of the Tiber. He's kind of a bit done with politics. The reason he's been kind of... He's left politics is a bit up in the air. Either he was forced to pay this massive fine for uh, supposedly a murder that his son did and didn't pay for. Um, But I think that's kind of considered nowadays to be... Sorry, that his son didn't pay for? Yeah, well, his son was the murderer. Oh, sorry, you mean... I thought you meant like you had a financial amount of money you had to pay if you (laughs) killed someone. You mean like... That pay the consequences. You, well, that kind of is what it is. So the son supposedly murdered one of the plebeians in his many violent sprees, but then fled Rome. Oh, is this cheese? And then yes, it's right. cheese. Yeah. And then Cincinnati then had to pay a fine in recompense to what his son did. Sure. Okay. But this is also not really considered been true, and especially because it almost adds to Cincinnati's legend, because it makes it seem like the reason he was a bit more impoverished and pushed out was not his fault. Ah. And actually, if you consider, as some people did, that Queso, the cheese guy, was also wrongly, like, falsely accused and was it was corrupt courts, it kind of adds a cool narrative. It feels like it could have also just been Cincinnati's fell into money troubles of his own or fell out of favour with the rest of the Senate. Yeah. For whatever reason, he's now just living on a farm. You could say that, like, the son story is just all a bit cheesy. (sighs) You could. (laughs) You wouldn't. It's just like death. Oh, my God. You did that really well because you were fully, like, (laughs) there was, like, a really good point you were about to make. Okay, well, you know, whatever, whatever reason, whether it's his cheesy son or whatever, he is now living on a little farm. He's retired from life. He's very much like in like kind of classic or a bit tropey films where he's like an old soldier who's retired and he's too old for this shit, that kind of thing. Sure. Was did he have? I was going to ask a, a real question. Did um did he have a military background? Or was he just a politician? From what I can tell, it's mostly politicians. Okay. I don't think he really does have a particular military background, but he does, um, spoiler alert, he does a pretty good job, so maybe he did. I couldn't really see any direct evidence of what he was other than a politician from when he was younger, and that's sure. the kind of class he's in. But it seems maybe like he must have had Maybe all men some... in Rome had to, I presume, especially in mm. the early days, they all would have had to take up arms. And, and as he would a have been patrician, very, he would have been an officer. And he would have been very well educated. So he and uh, I assume tactics. a big part of their education would be military tactics. So yeah, And yeah. he's just a smart guy. So I think at, at any rate, you know, because the consuls probably had the same education, but weren't as good. So, sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I guess it's also talent okay. to a certain degree. Where meritocracy meets money. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> kind of. That's. I think that's where we're at now. Um, and luckily, they can turn to someone who has money or did have money and does have a certain degree of talent. But keep in mind, yeah, Cincinnati is 61 at this point. So okay. he's a pretty old guy. Wow, actually, yeah, pretty old. Pretty old for this time period as well. Yeah, it's funny that there's always that myth about people be dying in their 30s before the modern age. It's not true. Is it not? No. They all live for a, a while, yeah. Yeah, think about it. Can you imagine? Yeah, we're not going down this debate right now. <laughs> but the Romans, yeah, yeah, that's they could live. I'm pretty sure... Cicero lived until he was at least... Oh, no, he got assassinated. The, the Seneca, that's it. Seneca lived until he was 80. I mean, but yeah, if you're in the patrician class of the Roman Empire or the Roman Republic, you're probably going to be pretty looked after. So. And they had hygiene. Like, yeah. They had proper hygiene back then. Mm. Or they just didn't in the middle bit. It's just, yeah, it's just those Middle Ages. And the Not... industrial area. So everything after the fall of Rome <laughs> until now. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like those are like the, the darker times of history, like the, the oh, darker... Oh, <laughs> don't you even... <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they now turn to Cincinnati. And so this is where we got to in our little intro. So they ride forth, a group of senators flanked by some Roman legionaries, ride to Cincinnati's farm. And funnily enough, they don't ask him anything straight away because he's in farming attire. And oh, they wow. say, you need to go inside and change. You need to be wearing your senatorial toga to receive this information. Really? <laughs> they actually make him go and change. <laughs> Which is very pompous and very Roman and quite funny. I thought you were going to say that they they mistook him for like uh, just a farmer. Oh, 
hey, I'm peasant. Say, that would be brilliant. That's so what it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go find your master. I am Lucius. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. We'll say that's canon. I think that's that's my head canon. That's how it worked. Yeah. Um, but he changes into senatorial robe, robe, senatorial toga, and they make him an offer or kind of declare him as dictator and say, "You've got to save us." We've, we've fucked up. These guys have ruined everything. Come and help us. Okay. So and he didn't ask for it. No, they come and ask They come and ask for him. Interesting. And Cincinnati accepts and then rides forth as the new dictator of Rome to assemble an army. Okay. I, I am always slightly questioning of this. I mean, obviously, as you said at the beginning, it's sort of mythologized. It's kind of years. a legend, yeah. And I wonder, like, I guess, why would they write him like that while well, they want him to be a selfless man? If it's mm. being, if the history is being written around the time of Caesar, uh, where you have men who aren't, who are selfish. Yes. He kind of like look back at the, you hark back to the times of the great Republican He is, he men. is a, a guy you hark back to. He right. is like that. that he that, is like Maximus. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Like it, it's this kind of humble, but like very talented, given power, you know, not abusing it. That kind of theme. Who believed in the dream that was Rome. Yeah, who believed in the dream that was Rome. But that dream, to, to, to reiterate, that dream did include crushing plebeian rights and keeping the oligarchical control. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is, that's what they mean by the dream of Rome. That is Rome, yeah. <laughs> so the next day, Cincinnatus arrives in Rome. He names a guy uh, also called Lucius, Lucius Tarquitius, Tarquitius, Tarquitius um, as his master of horse, which is essentially like the head of the army. Okay. Which is quite interesting. It's a cool name for, like, the chief military officer. It's just the master of the horse. Hmm. Yeah, master of that, the horse. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, go on. Um, and then he orders every man in Rome of military age to present themselves by the end of the day and asks that each man brings food for worth of five days and 12 studes. And a stude is about, is like a six to feet is a five to six feet long wooden stake that is primarily used to erect barricades very quickly. Ah. So normally the soldiers are kind of expected to carry two, but for some reason, Cincinnati has decided everyone needs to bring 12. Which is quite a lot. That's quite a big jump, isn't it? That is a huge increase. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a... It's six uh, times as many. Yeah, it's also... Can you imagine those, It's considered quite weird at the time as well. I was going to say, all the senators sat there going, who the fuck have we chosen yeah, yeah, to yeah, take yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, old man. <laughs> Why has he asked for wood? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, like, the wood... The, the, the stakes are kind of an odd thing. The stakes are high. Yeah, exactly. But, um... Stop it, man. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, so, they've got these stakes... But he's also only ordered like five days worth of rations per person, which I think is a pretty like confident move. So we won't need any more than five. Yeah, that is. Which is it? pretty baller. And so once everyone is assembled, he rides out to uh, Mount Algidus to relieve the Romans there who are encamped. And he wins a very, very good swift victory. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So as soon as he arrives, he orders all of his men to build a wall to surround the besieging uh, Acqui tribe army. So literally, he just arrives, turns this into a reverse besie- like siege situation, completely surrounds them, and almost very quickly traps them now between two forces. That is hilarious. It's quite a... Can a, you imagine that? Yeah. You turn around as one of the Acqui, or whatever they are, and you go, <laughs> hang on, there's someone got two by four wood there. There's, there's a wall there. There's hard hats. Was there a wall before? Yeah, like... <laughs> You see the high-vis guys? Like, are we on a set? I mean, I guess that's the thing, yeah. If you get, instead of, like, having, like, an engineering brigade or something to build a wall, you just get every single soldier to bring 12 stakes and just stick them in as soon as they arrive. It wouldn't take long, would it? Yeah. Because I assume, because, I mean, it's not hugely difficult to see how you would protect a, uh, like, an encampment from being besieged. Because as soon as the enemy realises there's people ahead and behind them, they're going to get out of there. Mm. But smartly, he traps them in very quickly and then immediately attacks them and also is able to inform the men in the encampment atop of the atop the hill to attack as well. So the Acqui suddenly, from being in this dominant position, like besieging this hill and probably doing quite well, they are now surrounded, locked in and being attacked from both sides. Interesting. Have you heard of um, Caesar's battle at Elysia? No. In the middle of France against the Gauls when he was trying to take all of Gaul, right? Mm. Um, Vercingetorix was this uh, head of the Gallic legion, or mm. the, the Gallic horde, right? And he was in a place called Elysia, 
and he got surrounded by... Uh, oh, no, he was he was actually besieging Elysia, which is this place. Same situation. So then Vercingetorix turns up with thousands and thousands of men, mm. surrounds Caesar. Mm. So what does Caesar do? He's put, he puts a barricade between himself and the outside and I one on the inside. This. And yes. I bet he got it from this man. Well, he kind of reverses it as well. Like He's, yeah. he's the one in the acqui position, but where Cincinnatus locks them in and he's the one building the wall and immediately attacks. Yeah, because Caesar like... He builds both ends. He basically blocks off one group and says, now nah, we'll deal with you later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, and it worked. And he, it was something stupid, like 130,000 ghouls against six legions. Wow. Which is about 30,000 men. And he won. Anyway, so sorry for those listeners who know their Caesar's history, Battle of Elysia. Mm. I bet he got it from reading about Cincinnatus. Yeah, like this is a tactic that could destroy you, actually. If you're, I guess that's the thing, if you're laying siege to any sort of fortification, you need to make sure you don't get surrounded yourself. Yeah. And in this case, the Acqui didn't do a very good job of that, but Caesar did and was able to just block off everyone else, which is a pretty cool move. Really cool move, yeah. So Cincinnatus then completely defeats them. The Acqui actually surrender pretty quickly. Once they realize they're surrounded, they have no room to maneuver, and they are now being attacked from both sides. So they surrender, and Cincinnatus is celebrated as this massive war hero. Like, he saves the day. Once the the two legionaries are able to escape, suddenly you've now got three armies. All of the Acqui kind of flee back to their to their territory. Okay, so the other... Nautius is... Nautius is fine, yeah, yeah. He didn't do much anyway. <laughs> but here's the part that turns Cincinnatus from just a war hero and a pretty great guy into a legend who throughout Roman history, they hark back, as we were saying before, to his kind of humbleness and his honour. Because after he takes, he, he wins the battle, they march back to Rome, and this is 15 days after he's named dictator mm. in a term that should have lasted up to six months. He hands back full control and goes straight back to farming. Really? Get, like So all the discussions we were having earlier about how dictators try to assume power, he is the exact opposite. He gives all his power back. He And it's not like he could have, he would have been like power hungry to stay on. He was named dictator for six months, but then wow. just surrendered it after 15 days. That's, that's a baller move. Mm. I mean, I guess, yeah, that, I, you kind of wonder why. I mean, apart from obviously principles. Yeah, I mean, that's the assumption from the legend, is that he was just so principled. I mean, he's can kind of the embodiment... In Roman's history, he's like the embodiment of civic virtue. It's the idea that he didn't do this for himself. He did this for the good of Rome. And then as soon as he wasn't needed, he went back to his home. Interesting. He didn't do anything because he wanted his own power. He did it to protect Rome. Amazing. And good th- for him. This is, where, this is where this guy comes from. This is the reason he is so celebrated throughout Roman history, is because he's just like... This is exactly what Rome likes to think of itself. It's like you do it on behalf. It's for Rome. Okay. So yeah. now, think of Washington. George Washington did exactly the same thing. Exactly. And he's taken the words out of my mouth. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that what you were saying? Well, that's the thing, because he is celebrated by Romans and by contemporaries. So Washington is these, this big one that people love to relate to Cincinnati because Washington arguably did kind of the same thing. Yeah, because he walked away after two terms. Yeah, two terms. And he could have he could have gone on for a third term. They would have very much ha- happily... Have, they wanted him to. They wanted him to. If you listen to Hamilton, there's, yeah. a, whole, there's a whole song about it. Um... <laughs> But and then and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard it in different places. But also there were suggestions that he could have started a monarchy in America, that he could have started. Yeah. And it, although it's also the reason that they may have also selected him is because he was uh, what's the word? Not barren, but he could he didn't have kids, and apparently he couldn't have kids. Oh really? Yeah. Supposedly that was one of the reasons they maybe thought he was a good guy because he couldn't have started a dynasty. Interesting. Which is smart, but then also it meant that he gave up his. He went back to his farm, just like Cincinnatus. One last time. Yeah. <laughs> That's I it. love how, so we managed to hit Les Mis and Hamilton. We do that. I'm Hamilton, you're Les Mis. We bring it up every single episode. I swear, if you go back, there's always a reference. Yeah, well, they're very good and they're both historical. So one day we'll bring up six as well. Why is it all musicals? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that is the legend of Cincinnati. There's a couple other things that have been added to his legend, which is largely considered to be made up. So supposedly he was uh, made dictator again in 439 BCE. And so again, when we're talking about like what a dictator was used for, at this time, there was a wealthy plebeian named Spurius Malleus. Again, maybe where the like 
Malignant. Malignant, that kind of may have come from. But, and the Senate were worried that he was getting too much power and was going to like try and make himself the new Roman king. Was he a tribune? Yes, I think he was a tribune. So he was gaining kind of really like the, the, like a huge amount of power and was supposedly bribing the other plebeians by just like, you know, he had he had enough money and wealth to like get support. And at this time also the plebeians had a bit more power. They had the tribunes. So okay. it was a threat. But it's also a threat from the like the working class or something. And stop, the, stop, stop. And so the Senate call upon Cincinnatus. Uh, he takes power and essentially just orders Malleus to come and face him. But then... Malleus refuses and then he sends Cincinnati sends his master of horse and they get in a fight and they and they die. So it, it kind of ends a bit less dramatically. Sure. But then supposedly also as soon as Malleus is dealt with, Cincinnatus once again returns to the plough wow. and goes straight back. I, it seems fairly clear that historians don't think this this happened, or at least Cincinnatus wasn't, wasn't yeah, Cincinnatus wasn't really involved. Because also he would have been eighty at this time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Well what a guy. Yeah. So he did so it's it's a kind of that's the thing. And that's what I've kind of ended up on doing a lot of research. This is that he's really celebrated, and there's people today who celebrate him as this massive hero. Sure, but there is also this spin that he was a patrician, part of the oligarchy, anti-plebeians. But all of that is true. Mm. But you have to set the guy in the time he was in. And yes, yeah. there were there obviously were unions with the tribunes. I totally get <laughs> that. But they were never realistically going to be able to take power away from the patrician families. It's no, never going to happen. Mm. So he was the best of the worst, if you want to put it in a modern te- text. But actually, he was the best of anyone who actually managed to hold that much power mm. in a martial law kind of place yeah. and to give it back again. Give How it back without he... any expectation. He yeah. could have held it on for six months. Yeah. Like he had five and a half months left of his term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that whole adage, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely maybe if you get out of it quick enough you're fine yeah maybe so it's a really interesting it's a good moral anyway it is yeah well Mm. i mean i don't know next time i'll find myself in absolute power but (laughs) oh okay well i do (laughs) oh right of course (laughs) but what's funny is actually because yeah and so one of the other things i saw as well or read about is the the idea that one of the other reasons the story of cincinnatus was so important to roman people is because it happened so early on in the roman republic romans didn't have that many heroes to worship most of the heroes they cared about were greek because obviously the greek oh, civilization was so large and so influential and had all this history romans didn't really have anything so this was like one of their first homegrown heroes other than i guess romulus yeah so it was a really nice thing for they were like we can finally cheer someone who isn't just a greek we can cheer for one of our own who embodies one of the virtues we really care about and also fought off their version of the french compared to the english in exactly the a- Aque. Aque. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's a really it, it, it's a really good tale and it like echoes through time and so yeah we've got washington supposedly there was also uh, just after the American Revolutionary War, the Society of Cincinnati was formed, which was a group of like a fraternal society of just guys just to commemorate the American Revolutionary War. And it was that group that get, that went on to kind of inspire the name of the city, Cincinnati in Ohio. No way. So, and they based their society name on Cincinnati because they thought this is all about, you know, the early American politics was all about you know doing your duty and doing your oh it's very roman civic mind- it's very roman isn't yeah. it yeah so that kind the of Senate. mindset and the, the republic yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, it's yeah. very it's very of that mindset and also breaking away from a king yeah kind of all fits together it's all there so you've got that but then there's even more recent ver- like examples of this so really interestingly apparently you know edward snowden the whistleblower who leaked all that yeah all that information about uh the nsa he supposedly used the nickname Cincinnatus when he started talking to the press. Really? Which is really cool. Ah. And then the less fun example, which is actually the reason I started looking into Cincinnatus originally, was very recently in his farewell speech outside 10 Downing Street, our divisive is probably the most political correct word I can use here, uh, ex-Prime Minister Boris Johnson, references Cincinnatus. He says, like Cincinnatus, I am now returning to my plough. Is that what he said? That's one of the things he said. He also said something about being a booster rocket that fell to Earth, which he says a lot of weird things. He does, but he's always actually, regardless of whether you like Boris Johnson or not, Mm. he is a classical... uh, He's written books on Rome. Yeah. So he's very interested in in emulating... Emulating? I always get that wrong. Emulating. Emulating uh, heroes of Rome. Yeah, so it makes sense. And also lots of people were kind of thinking... 
well, in the legend, Cincinnatus returns to power. So everyone was thinking that's why he's suggesting it. Other people were also suggesting that also Cincinnatus was a patrician enemy of the people. We're bringing up that aspect of it, which I assume he wasn't really intending about. to hit on. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's maybe a bit of a blunder on his edge. But to think um, that, he, that Cincinnatus it was around 2,500 years ago mm. and his name was uttered mm. on the lips of a, 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 a statesman just... What was it? Six, eight, twelve months ago. How yeah, ruling been? from a country that was not even in the mindset of the Romans at that time, and a city that hadn't been built yet. Exactly. Yeah, crazy very, stuff. Very, very strange. So yeah, so Cincinnati is a very interesting character, and obviously this is all very much in legend and kind of mythical. So there's probably a lot of embellishment here, but I think the it seems that there will be some form of truth. And if for it to become a legend, he must have at least given back his power quite quickly. Yeah. Whether it was 15 days, whether he just did it at the end of six months, and the Romans found that very unusual for someone to give back absolute power. But whatever. So he's a very, very interesting guy. As you say, you can't really apply too much modern politics to to people back in the past, but it's a, it's a cool story. It is. And yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Really, really cool. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our two episodes on Rome. I mean, I know we'll come back to more Roman stories because there's just so many. Well, we need to come back to that lager guy. Oh, El Agabalus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we already know what we have to do next. <laughs> Maybe we'll add it to one of the Instagram posts about El Agabalus. No, I think it could be a full episode. It could be a whole episode. <laughs> Fine. All right. <laughs> just talking about lagers and related to Rome. Um, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope this is sort of history you don't know too much about. If you listen to our dear old ex-Prime Minister's speech and didn't know what he was talking about. This is what it was all about. So I hope you've enjoyed it. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where you can see lots of information uh, and lots of extra imagery about the podcast sessions we'll do. I won't put a picture of Boris Johnson up there, I promise. <laughs> and if you have enjoyed listening to us, uh, take, just find us wherever you get our podcast and leave us a review. We love that. It's really nice. Yeah, it makes it us is. feel really happy. We read every single one of them. We do. And Will, can you give us a hint at what we are doing in two weeks' time? Because we are now moving to a completely new city. Yeah. And quite a, feels, I was going to say unusual city. That's a kind of rude thing to say, but a lesser known city, lesser known than Rome. Oh, well, it's say. hard to be more known than Rome. But yeah, yeah we are going to travel to uh, Afghanistan mm. and we're going to talk about Kabul. Oh, I'm very excited. Yeah, I, as am I. I have to admit, it has been a bit of a beast in the research <laughs> for the next uh, week's episode. But uh, yeah, um, we're going to touch on all sorts of things to do with Kabul, because Kabul is one of those cities which um, is actually, I think it predates Rome. Really? Yeah, because Alexander the Great oh, went through Oh, of course, it. yeah. So yeah, there's all sorts of stuff there. Oh, it's it's so, really fascinating. I mean, I loved our episodes on Baghdad. Yeah. And it's just these parts of the world which, for some reason, well, it's probably lots of vaguely racist reasons, we don't learn that much about in school. And it's just a wealth of amazing history that we are, I'm very looking forward to dive into. Yeah, and it's one of my absolute favourite, um, it's one of my favourite places to research i've always found afghanistan fascinating mm. um so yeah tune in next week it's my episode and then from two weeks after that we'll have patrick's response so yes thank Is that you. what they are, are we respond these responses to each other in a philosophical kind of way there. oh okay right right, right. Yeah. so cincinnati was a response to what was he giordano bruno there we go Kind of very different guys, really. Very different. Very civic focused and then very self focused. Yeah. In a sort of way. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you so much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll catch you next time. See you next time.